Hi, you're listening to my mom, Cat Lee, on the Inspired to Action podcast. How's that, mom? Hey, can I listen to it? You are listening to episode number four of the Inspired to Action podcast. You can check out all our episodes and a lot more resources at inspiredtoaction.com. As my daughter said, my name is Cat Lee, and today we have Jamie Ivey on the show. She blogs at dreamingbigdreams.net, and we're going to be talking about adoption, her year of motherhood challenge, and what happened when she entered a DJ competition. So we're going to jump right in. I hope you enjoy it. If you're listening in, this is Jamie Ivey, and she blogs at dreamingbigdreams.net. And I wanted to share her with you today because she so inspires me. She could check just about every motherhood box that there is. You know, she's been a working mom. She's been a stay-at-home mom. She has biological kids. She has kids that she's adopted from the U.S., kids that she's adopted internationally. And she. And the coolest thing about her is that she's not in any kind of box. She is just so fun and inspiring. And I feel like I get cool points just from knowing you, Jamie. Oh, that um, is... <laughs> you're so sweet. I live vicariously, vicariously through your fashion. Oh, and we're so close we should meet, by I the know. way, just on a side note. yeah, It's just wrong. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, how about... I'd love just for you to introduce yourself a little bit. I'd love to hear your motherhood story. Like, you have four kids. Did you mm-hmm. always want to be a mom? Yes. I. It's funny because... I, my husband and I have been married for 11 years now, and when we first got married, I mean, we just knew that we'd take that traditional route that I think you just always know you're going to do. You're going to get married. You're going to get, well, we were still in college. We're going to get out of college. We're going to get real jobs, and then we're going to work for a while, and then we'll have a family, and I think we just looked at it as that. We never, ever talked about adoption, which is crazy, mm. and we never really talked about how many kids we were going to have, and I mean, I think a big family always seemed kind of dreamy to me and fun at Thanksgiving, you know, everyone coming home and, you know, just a crazy house because I just have one sibling and Aaron just has one sibling. So the thought of more always seemed kind of like in a dream world, but we really never talked about family before we got married. And I highly recommend you do that if anyone's (laughs) listening and you're not married yet. But for us, we didn't. And so we were married and moved to Nashville only a year and a half married, and we um, had decided that I was going to work and support Aaron as he did um, some kind of music stuff, and um, our plan was five years we're going to have a baby, and sure enough, the next month, I get pregnant, (laughs) you know, so um, we always say that our three children that we adopted are the three that we planned, and, you know, God Mm -hmm. knew what he was doing, so that was our first introduction to parenthood was through our biological son. And then through that, Kat, it was just like we were just God had us in the right place. We were in Nashville and the church that we went to, a lot of families were adopting from China. Hmm. And so it was just our, really our first introduction into adoption. Um, and that's all we knew. But we also didn't meet any qualifications for China. We were young. We had a seven month old. Um, and our heart just wasn't really tugged that way. Mm-hmm. So we went to an adoption agency with our little seven-month-old baby and said, hey, we want to adopt. We don't know what we're doing. We don't know why we're here, but we just feel like God's leading us this way. And that is what led us to domestic adoption. And so they looked at us and said that you're, that's great. Um, our biggest need at this point for domestic is biracial boys or African-American boys. And so we said, okay. And 15 months later, our youngest son joined our family. Is that pretty fast? That sounds... 
You know, at the time that we were in it, it felt grueling and miserable and I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do believe it was fast because from our paperwork being turned in, within five months, our child was home. And wow. so I think that is pretty quick. Um, and at the time, like I said, it felt awful. Little did I know what God was going to take us through, you know, two years later. Right. Um, but yeah, so I think it was pretty quick. And so we have an open adoption with Deacon and his first mom. And um, that was our, f- you know, first step into adoption. What's that like having an open adoption? You know, it's um, when we started the adoption process, it's something that you have to answer. Do you want this? Do you not want this? And and that will determine that also plays into who you're matched with. Mm-hmm. And so for us, at first, it was very, a very scary thing for us mm-hmm. to think that this other mom is going to be involved in our child's life or can she come back? You know, all of the common fears that you see on Lifetime movies, they become like this reality in your life that you're having to deal with. And so for us, it was very scary. But in the process, I read a book um, and obviously I can't think of the name right now, but I'll get it to you. Um, I read a book and it was from a birth mom's perspective. And basically, she was just talking about how she loved that child and she wanted to know how they were doing and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it wasn't scary. It was just a genuine love. And, you know, I told you I had a a child that I had birthed previously. And I thought to myself, and God really laid it on my heart, that if I were in her situation or if I were having to make these choices, I would want to know how my kid was doing, you know, and I would want to see pictures of them. And so God really changed our heart through that. And we desired an open adoption from the very beginning and his birth mom didn't. And that came a couple of weeks into him being born. So it is great. She wow. visits us, you know, he knows who his first mom was, you know, so it's, it helps. I'm hoping that when he's 15 and goes through that, who am I, why am I here stage that I have a little more answers for him. Mm-hmm. So it's working really well for us. Mm-hmm. Now, is there any, do you have any tips for moms that are pursuing an open adoption, how to handle that as a mother? Yeah. I mean, I always tell friends that are, that are pursuing open adoption that it's much easier to get to to get wider than get smaller. Um, we have a, a great relationship with our first mom. That's our experience. I know that everybody's stories are different. And so we were advised, and I think it's a great um, encouragement and information to to start small and widen the gate because mm-hmm. it's much easier to open it than it is to close it. And so just for that, like, you know, start with, you know, pictures and start with phone calls, start with meeting at a park, you know, or just start small and it's easier to develop that relationship as you can see what does your child want or need, what is the first mom wanting and needing, you know, and also just to put away any fears. Like it's not scary. Uh, my son Deacon, he knows who his mom is. I mean, I've been his mom since he was a day old, you know? And so I don't ever feel jealous or worried. Um, but I also, she holds a lot of value in our life as well. Like mm-hmm. she's very, she's very highly valued in our house and to Deacon because truly that was his first mom. You know, she carried him and God put him in her womb. And so we value her a lot. Yeah. That's amazing. So you're married a very short time, uh-huh. and you have your first son. Then you go through a relatively fast adoption, and mm-hmm. then you have an open adoption. But that's not where your story ends. It gets even wilder and even crazier. I want you to tell us a little bit how um, your next two children came into your life. 
Yeah, we thought that that was wild and crazy. We had no clue what was about to be in store for us. But after we had our two children, life was good. You know, two kid family, dog, and a picket fence is what we would have. <laughs> and at that point, um, when Deacon was a year old, I took a trip to um, to Haiti just with my church. And um, it was a very profound trip. God moved in my life in a lot of ways, not even about children, just personally. And so it was a really good trip for me, and it was very eye-opening. I had never been um, to a third-world country like that before and seen the things that I saw. And so I started really feeling like that I wanted more children. You know, I just felt as a mom that I wasn't complete. And I would share this with Aaron, and he would say, well, that's funny because I feel complete. You know <laughs> And so I'm like, well, God told me I'm not complete. I don't know. I probably made that up. But, you know, I was trying to use that card. And he's like, <laughs> right. oh, God told me we're complete. So we were really, like, at odds with each other about we, me wanting more children and Aaron being very content with our sweet little family. And um, it was a little, um, you know, we would hit heads a lot about it. And then mm-hmm. finally I just – I don't know why I chose this because I usually don't choose the right thing, but I really just chose to just quit nagging Aaron about it and just pray about it. And, um, and I prayed a big prayer. I did ask God if it was my heart to change then change mine, you know, like Mm -hmm. I was open to whatever he wanted. And it was amazing because a couple, literally like seven or eight months later, Aaron came to me out of the blue and said, I think we should adopt again. And I was like, oh, like, okay, God, that was so sweet for me because it wasn't me that changed Aaron's mind. And it was literally just God. Um, But all that to say, I had been to Haiti the last year and God had just really put that country on both of our hearts. And um, we, again, this is a very non-traditional way, but we followed um, a woman's blog in Haiti who runs um, an organization called Real Hope for Haiti. And it's a rescue center where they take in children that are needy and uh, malnourished or sick. They get them well and then send them back to their parents. It's not even an orphanage. It's They do amazing things um, in the village that they work in. Well, she posted a picture of what now I know, I mean, obviously it was my son. Um, and for the first time ever, I literally looked at this kid's pay, picture on the, on her blog and felt like this is my kid. And wow. I looked at pictures of kids all over the world. As soon as Aaron told me that he was ready to adopt again. I mean, I was signed up for every email list that you could think of, but it really was something, it was just drawing me to this kid. And so we decided to pursue it at the time. We didn't meet any of the requirements for Haiti, but we just felt like I was, we just said, we're going to keep going and see what happens. And so that's how we started our adoption of Amos. And then by that time, that's kid number three. I'm at three boys. And I told Aaron that we really would like another child from Haiti so that Amos would not be alone. And I really would like a girl. (laughs) And so a couple months later, our daughter's story was born. And so we were uh, matched with her. And then that's when we began the process for them. And two and a half years later, Amos came home. Now, was Story, uh, did you find her through Real Hope for Haiti as well, or is that a different organization? She also, the lady that runs Real Hope for Haiti is married to a Haitian man, and they have a Haitian son that they've adopted. They have four kids, but one of their kids is Haitian that they've adopted. And actually, her son's birth mom had a baby. And wow. And said, I would like for you to adopt her. And she said, you know, we can't. And her son, which is Story's um, half-biological brother, said, you know, the family that's adopting Amos, I think they wanted to adopt a little girl. And so she brought it to us and, you know, we were just ecstatic because, I mean, we know that she has a relationship. We know her mom there. I mean, I have met her mom many times. And so it was just 
it was a really big God story for us. So that's how we were matched with Amos and story in Haiti. Yeah. I, you know, I think it's about this point in time, maybe a little bit earlier that I met up with you online and started reading your blog and following you and, and following your journey. And I, I remember reading real hope for Haiti a lot too. And what an amazing organization and what amazing and life giving work that they do there. It, yeah. A lot of their pictures would break my heart and inspire me and challenge me. And, um, so then you're matched up with these kids and you're seeing their pictures a lot and following them and they're updating you on them. And so did you, was it a two half year process and you never saw them? Did you go and visit them? How did that work? Actually, the great thing about Haiti is that it's about an hour plane ride from Miami. I mean, it is so easily accessible to us. Um, in the States. And so they also allow you to visit your kids there. Whereas a lot of different countries have different rules and you may never see your child until you actually go pick them up. Uh, we were able to visit our kids as often as we wanted, whenever we wanted. So within the two and a half years, Aaron and I kind of um, switched off back and forth. And we, between the two of us, I think we went down there seven or eight times um, wow. to visit them. And so the first time I went by myself alone was in um, January and um, right after we had started. And it was my first time to meet them, my first time to travel to Haiti alone. I mean, it was a Did that big... wreck you? Yes, it was so difficult. And the difficult part was that I had been seeing these kids' pictures for, I don't know, four months. And, um, and it was hard as a mom because I loved them. And they, I looked at them as if they were my children, and they just looked at me as if I was a visitor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like I was just this woman that came in and you know, practically just smothered them all day with kisses and hugs. Oh my gosh. And tears. And then I just left. And so Amos was um, two and a half at the time. And I, that's a hard, that's, you can't really explain that. Right. To a child, you know, but by the time he came home, our visits, he was very aware. He called us mama and papa and he was very aware that we were coming and that we were leaving. Yeah. So you're visiting them on and off for a few years and then the Haiti earthquake hits. Mm-hmm. What? When did you hear about the earthquake hitting? What went through your mind, and how did you find out how they were doing? How did you connect with them? Right. Well, Story had come home about three months before the earthquake, so their paperwork and one of the departments got split up, which is just what happens because they're not biologically related. And so she was already home, and we were just—I mean, I remember it because we were just going through our regular day. And I don't even think I had the TV on because the kids were home and it was crazy. And someone texted me and said, there's been an earthquake in Haiti. And I'm like, an earthquake in Haiti? Are you serious? Um, That just didn't sound right. And I don't even think it registered because, I mean, an earthquake, if there's like an earthquake in California, it's they have Mm -hmm. it just didn't even register. And I turned on the TV and that's when we saw it. And I remember Aaron was out running and I texted him and we came home. And then it was literally um, hours before we knew if... Amos and all the children where he lived and our friends that lived there were okay. And so from that point on, it was pretty chaotic at our house. Um, My other three kids were very much neglected because we were literally glued to our computers, our phone, the television. Um, Just the thought that my child, you know, was in that Mm -hmm. stating earthquake um, where thousands, hundreds of thousands of people were killed and displaced from their homes and, it was a very uncomfortable feeling, one that I don't want to go through again. Um, and we rallied around and we started raising support for the three organizations there that we love. 
And um, Amos came home 10 days later on humanitarian parole. And so at this point, we did not know, is he going to come home? What's happening? We were hearing rumors they were going to let kids get out. And honestly, I didn't believe them because it seemed kind of far-fetched. Yeah. Um, but he did. He was one of the kids that got out on human, humanitarian parole. So we picked him up in Florida on January 23rd. So when he got out on humanitarian parole, did you know, was that definite that he was going to be able to stay with you and the adoption would be, you know, finalized or how, how does that work? What was going through your head when, when he finally came home? Well, it, nothing, we didn't really know much and nothing was definite. And I believe that this was one of the first times that the U S government had done this. And mm-hmm. so I don't that they had very much protocol for what to do. And that was evident when we went to pick him up with the lack of, you know, information that we were given and everything. But I don't think we ever had a fear of them sending him back. I don't think that our government would have allowed done that, you know, and it was yeah. really our government that brought them home. So our adoption is halfway done. Okay. <laughs> but we've done some parts here. We still have some more to do, but um, it's great. So how how has it been just bringing your family together um, from all over the place, you know, from different countries, from different backgrounds? How has it been to bring your family together? Um, you know, Kat, it's been – it was one of the best feelings was when he got home because I just felt this, like, sense of completeness mm-hmm. that we had just yearned for for so long and wanted so badly I just felt like finally as a mom, all my kids are under the same roof. And, you know, I had been a mom to four for a long time, but just two of them lived in Haiti. And so yeah. it was so nice to know that all four of my children were where they were supposed to be. And so that part was amazing and wonderful. Um, it's almost been three years since Amos has been home. And I would say that, you know, things are going really well now. The first year was really hard. I mean, just our son had been through a lot. You know, mm-hmm. um, parent figures in his life, um, abandonment, malnourishment, you know, just all of the long list of things that you can think of live through hurricanes, earthquakes. So it was just a hard year of bonding and him trusting and loving and which is all so common. It's nothing that no one else is going through that is adopting internationally, you know, so it's a journey and God's been really good to us and to him. Um, and, and things are going really well. So you had some pretty crazy seasons of just waiting and wondering what did you cling to during those seasons and what did God teach you during those seasons and what advice do you have to other moms that are in the season of being a mother to more children than they can hold in their arms right now? Um, It's probably one of the hardest things as a mom I feel like to go through, although I haven't been through, you know, everything in the book. But for me, it was really hard just... Um, having to deal with the fact, like I mentioned, that I felt like two of my kids just weren't with me. And as a mom, I felt like God just put it in us. We're like caretakers and we want to take care of our children and, and do what's best for them. And I just couldn't do that for two of them, which was hard. Um, I really feel like I really, really, really leaned on my community during that time. Um, God placed some amazing people around us that although they might not have understood everything, they were willing to walk through it with us. Um, and that was amazing. Um, you know, we have a great church and I really feel as though God just kept, kept showing us like I'm in control. I know that this doesn't seem how you would do it, but I'm in control. I'm in control. And, you know, there were just little things along the way that would really show up that would press that into my heart. And so I feel like 
maybe during the time I might not have struggled as well as I want to, but I think looking back now, I feel like that God has prepared me for any other struggles that I might have, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I learned um, what it feels like to hurt like that. And so I feel like I'm not, I'm not asking God for more hurt, obviously, but it will probably come in my lifetime, you know, and I just feel like I'll be better prepared to hurt again. Yeah. Um, so what are some things you said that, you know, it's year three since you had all four kids here. What are some things that you've done to really bring unity as brothers and sisters and as a family as a whole to, to give all of your kids just the sense of belonging as I am an Ivy and we are a family. What are some things that you've done to, to bring that about? You know, and this is, this is advice for me or for parents who do have uh, adopted children or blended families or whatever. What are just some things? I mean, you're so, I love how intentional you are. I love, we'll get into this in a minute, but I love your year of motherhood. Just you're being so intentional and purposeful and, and, and creative. And what are some, just some things that you've done or, or even words that you've spoken or things that you've prayed that you feel like have influenced just the bonding and the unity in your family? Right. Well, one thing that was really good for us is that when we started our adoption process in Haiti for Amos and Story, um, my youngest son, Deacon, was not almost, he was almost two, and my older son was almost four. So they were really, really young. And from day one, we integrated our children in Haiti with us here. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, for those of you that are adopting, you may not have a picture, you may not have a face, um, but you have a child. And so we always, everything that we did, we brought focus back to that there are two more people in our family. And our kids were really young. And so I think they just kind of grabbed onto that. And they may not understand that not everyone gets brothers from around the world. I mean, it's normal to them because they were so young. But we were intentional with um, our kids that were home at the time. We prayed for Amos and Story all the time. I, my kids saw me like weep for them and saw that urgency in my heart for the brothers and sisters. Um, we, um, they were involved in our fundraising and they were involved in a lot of the aspects. They knew every time we left them, although that was hard, was that we were going to visit their brother and sister. And so, you know, and some of the things that since they've been home is we've been really intentional about, we call our three boys like the brothers. And we just say like, brothers stick together. You know, we try really, really hard because when Amos first came home, he didn't really understand playing. And Kate and Deacon have been together their whole life and had a really mm-hmm. on. And so then you're bringing in this third wheel. And at times that was pretty hard. And I had to encourage a lot of times for my young, for Caden and Deacon to go out and reach out to their brother. And that's hard to teach a little kid to do that. But we did a lot of like, you know, brothers stick together, brothers play together. <laughs> that term the brothers is just yes. like in our house. Um, and then we have story that's just this princess of a little girl. She is adorable. I just I don't think that she can't hang with her brothers because she can. <laughs> So you, I mean, your life, you've already had all this adventure and yet there's another fascinating segment to it. So how long was Amos home before there was that, um, the DJ competition? Oh, the DJ competition. Um, I want to say that Amos was home. Oh gosh, my dates. Um, a year and a half. Okay. Yeah. I remember seeing it online and you tweeting something, Hey, I'm trying out for this DJ position. What's the name of the radio station? 
At the time, it was K. It was KVET. KVET. Okay. And um, you know, I, I used to work at a radio station. I was not a DJ there, but I, you know, I'd been around DJs, and I'm like, oh, this is so cute. My little blog friend is trying out to be yeah. a DJ, and I was like, well, I'll go listen to her little tryout, and it'll be just cute. And you are amazing. And then I remember watching videos as the process got farther and farther along. And I was like, there's no way she hasn't done this before. You're such a natural with it. What is that something that you've, you'd always wanted to do? And what inspired you to go for it? Well, it's really funny because I have absolutely zero experience. But I always thought as a little girl, I wanted to be like a newscaster or, you know, something like that. So I guess maybe it had been in my mind before. But um, and randomly enough, when I went to college, you had to second major. And so I tacked on speech communications, which is funny now that I actually used it for a little bit. But I listened to country music, you know, which is funny, too, because my husband, Aaron, does not like country music. But and I was just right in the car one day and they said that they were having this casting call for a DJ. And I'm thinking, God, that would be a lot of fun. Like, that'd be a lot of fun. And, I, and I'm thinking, what are the chances? So I, I talk Aaron into helping me make a little demo in his studio. And I did it just thinking, this is so crazy, Jamie. And then <laughs> and it's there. I just kept. Get, and so I did like use my social media and try to get a lot of votes. But and then I got I made it to the top 10. And then at that point, I made it. They picked the top five. The station did. And I made it to that. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. This is great. <laughs> then the top five, all of us got to come in and do a day in the studio. And I did that. And it was so fun. And I thought, if that's all it is, that was a lot of fun. And then I won. <laughs> I remember Aaron and I going to dinner in this process. And he's like, I think we should talk about this. Like, are you going to have a job? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. So I won. And I worked on a morning show and had a lot of fun. What what went through your head when you found out that you won? Were you did you think what did you guys talk about it? What was did you have a plan for if you actually won? I mean, there were lots of entries. Yeah, I mean, we had like a rough plan, but no one thought I would really win. I mean, <laughs> stay at home mom with four kids, and so not that that's bad, but you know what I'm saying. Right. I've never been on the radio, and we kind of had a rough plan, and then I won, and. I mean, I found out on like a Wednesday and started Monday. I mean, seriously. So we kind of got stuff together and had people watch my kids, which that's not easy either when you have to be at the station at like 5.15 in the morning. Yeah. Um, but it worked out um, and it was a lot of fun and I loved it so much. How was it balancing all of that? Very hard. Very hard. Um, I, I mean, you think, I thought these hours are going to be fabulous. You know, I'm on the air from 6 to 10. I'm usually done by 12.30 or 1.00. I can be home. And it was just, it was hard on Amos the most. Mm. Um, I think just having someone come in and be with him all day and then me showing up, just that change was still really hard for him. And I think I thought he was ready for it, you know, mm -hmm. and kind of discovered a little bit in that he wasn't. So it was very hard balancing that. And so I started to feel a couple of months in, like, I love this job and like, I really do. I felt a lot of, you know, like, I don't know if other moms go through this, but sometimes being a mom that stays home and doesn't work outside of the home, sometimes I feel like, do I really contribute to my family? Do I contribute mm -hmm. to society? Do I get to do anything that fulfills me? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I know totally false. like it's not truth, but let's be honest. Sometimes I felt like that, like what is fulfilling me? And so that part of it was really good for me, but I kept having that struggle of, I feel like my kids are just not doing well with this. Um, 
And I had to make a really tough call. Yeah. And, and so tell us what that call was. And then I want to hear about that process that went through your head because yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't want to give away. So tell us, tell us what that call was and the process of actually following through with it. I mean, Aaron and I started talking and, um, he could sense that, you know, there was just something not right. And I just said, I just feel like I'm not doing a good job at mothering. You know, I feel like the station is great and I love it and it is fulfilling this in me. But while I'm there, sometimes I'm thinking about what's going on at home and, you know, I just, I felt like my mothering was being affected and my children were being affected. And for me, I couldn't justify like I had some people who were like well your kids will learn like they will adjust and I just could not justify that with my son Amos um, who was still adjusting to life um, mm-hmm. it was just I couldn't I I couldn't sleep well knowing that I was not helping him but yet it was hurting him and so it was hard for me because I also felt a lot of stress of like well a lot of people tried out for this yeah one. And, you know, when I first brought it to the attention of the audience, you know, there were some people who were like, well, you should have thought about this before. And I did. It's just, I did not know what that stress was going to be like on my kids. Yeah. So, so so yeah, I I remember seeing some of the, the feedback that you got from listeners and, um, you know, I had to temper my words sometimes wanting to comment and fortunately seeing so many of your friends and stuff comment, but you know, it wasn't a Christian radio station. Um, it wasn't a stay at home mom radio station. It was just, you know, general public people coming from all different walks of life. And you got all kinds of feedback. What did, would you say you had mostly supportive, mostly not supportive? And, and how did that feedback impact you? Did you even read it? I shouldn't have read it. I'll tell you that. Um, I, I would honestly say that for the most part, I think people were supportive the thing with people giving feedback is a lot of times when you support something, you're not really going to feedback. But when you disagree with something, you're going to shout really loudly. Right. So I felt that a lot. And there were a lot of um, – I got a lot of emails to my work email, a lot of support, but a lot of not, you know. And it was a hard spot for me because there was no need for me to indulge them in my family life with my child, Amos, that had only been home from Haiti for not a short time and dealt with attachments issues. And, I mean, that just – I don't think that would have been taken very well or understood. Mm-hmm. Say, um, It did affect me. I'm a people pleaser. I want everyone to be happy. And so the thought that these people were thinking bad thoughts about me, it did hurt my feelings a little bit. And my husband kept saying, stop reading it. You've got to stop reading this. And finally I did. I just had to quit reading it. But I got a lot of moms tell me that I didn't even know that were like, you're doing the best thing for your kids when they're this young. You can always go back to work. And that's kind of what I felt at the end is like, you know what? I would love to be back on the air someday. That was so fun. I loved it. I found something that I could do. I didn't even know it. But I just felt like that wasn't the good, a good time. Yeah, it wasn't a good season for you. So, so you go back home and you're not doing the DJ thing anymore. And you get this idea for the year of motherhood. Was that directly correlated to stepping down from being a DJ? Was that a different idea that you had? What kind of inspired it? And tell us what each of the month focuses were and and a little bit about how it's gone so far this year. Okay. So I feel like, you know, I, I, one of my biggest goals in life is to be a good mom. You know, I just, I want to get to the end of my day and feel like I've done well. And sometimes I struggle with that and, you know, choose my own selfishness over it and all that kind of stuff. 
But it start, I got the idea last year um, after Christmas time when I looked at our December and went, oh, my gosh, like I didn't even finish the Advent book with my kids. And, <laughs> you know, cookies for our neighbors. This whole long list of things I wanted to do that I never did. And I just thought, I may, I'm such good. I'm really good about setting up these big grand ideas, but sometimes I forget to follow through with them or, you know, you know, life. Totally. So I just looked at myself and thought, next year, I want to spend 2012 being intentional and intentional in different ways. And so here's what I've done. January, it was to get up every day before my kids, except on Saturdays. (laughs) February was to not to be at my computer at all when my kids were in the home and awake. Uh, March was to spend one-on-one time with each kid each week. And April, plan a family night each week that's more than just dinner and a movie. Uh, for May, I wanted to just intentionally encourage each kid daily in something of their own. Uh, this summer in June, we picked a fruit of the spirit and studied it and found ways to practice it and memorize them. July, I wanted to really pray more specifically for my kids, like specifically, not just like, oh, I hope my kid loves you and blah, 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 but just specifically say, okay, this child is really strong. Um, August to do devotionals with my kids every day and memorize scripture with them. September back to school stuff was fix a healthy breakfast each morning and a healthy lunch. Like none of that. Oh no, you have to buy your lunch today. (laughs) Um, last month we wanted to do something new in our city each week. Um, this month in November, I'm looking for ways that we can serve the city together with our kids, not just Aaron and I. And then December is to do, I said the Jesse tree because that's what I wanted to do last year and never did it. (laughs) So I want to do some kind of something. And so basically I just wanted to be intentional each month with these different mothering things that I see people do well and I wanted to practice. It's so fun to be near the end of the year and see that you've done all that. And and if you're listening to this, uh, Jamie has updated us every month on the blog, and I'll put a a link in the post notes. Um, But she's updated us every month on the blog of how the month went, some of the things that she learned from it, some of the tips, some of the resources, and then an intro to the next month. And I just, I love, a lot of times, especially in the blog world, we'll come up with this great idea, and then it fizzles a few months down the road. But you are almost through this year, and you you did it. What was what was the toughest month, and what was the most rewarding month? Um, one of the really tough months, um, just because I'm busy and seemed to wait to the last minute, was those dang family nights. <laughs> um, and I got some feedback from people that do it all the time and love it, and then other people that are like, "Well, just do something special." And my my intention was I wanted to be out of my box, you know. Mm. I- crafty. I'm not a big like, oh, let's have a luau night. (laughs) Not in me one bit. And I did it. And that was hard. And you know what? My kids loved it. I mean, they still talk about that luau night, you know, and it was just a lot of fun for them. Something that was really good for me was when we studied the fruits of the spirit. Mm. Um, It was just, just so good to see them and for me to talk about those things with them. And it wasn't just that we talked about it in that moment, but it kind of bled in through the rest of our day and the rest of our weeks. Um, that's been really good. Another challenging one was for me to not be on my computer when my kids are home. Mm, yeah. And that be tough. really rewarding for my children's thing. I think that they notice and I found myself being more intentional with them. The dishes got done sooner, you know, and it just, you know, that was a really big one for me. Yeah. Do you have any plans to do this again next year or? Take I don't know. I haven't even thought about it, Ken. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't even thought about it. It would be cool to come up with 12 more things, I'm mm-hmm. sure. 
a lot of fun, so maybe I will. Mm-hmm. Well, let me know if you do. It would be fun to join you this time. Um, well, Jamie, we've covered a ton of stuff, and I just want to thank you for giving your time and chatting with us and sharing your story. I really, seriously, am so inspired by you and um, how you're able to be an incredible mom and be so cool all at the same time. <laughs> uh, um, so, yeah. So, again, this is uh, Kat Lee with Inspired to Action, and I'm talking with Jamie Ivey, and she blogs at dreamingbigdreams.net. If you want to check out the show notes, I'll post all the links from all the stuff that we've talked about, and um, I'll see you next time on the podcast. <laughs>